chapter 21. High resolution refers to the utmost clarity. We want our vision to be really clear to you. So there are three parts to our vision. They begin with R, E, and S. The R stands for reaching people. It is in our hearts to reach people all around the world, including our city for Jesus. We believe that people are worth the pursuit and need to be pursued. Jesus went some 30 miles to find the woman beside the well, and he waited for her. We believe that we, in order to reach people, we have to go to where they are. Jesus didn't stay where he was. He went to where she was. In other words, we have to pursue people. And re reaching people involves connecting on a human level. Jesus was thirsty, and the woman also was thirsty. Jesus asked her for a drink. You see, he became vulnerable to her and his humanity. But Jesus was offering something to her she didn't have, which was living water. And he had to work through some barriers, some resistance, cultural, racial barriers. But Jesus' love was greater than those barriers. And then touching her pain, there were some parts of her life that she kept in secret. Do you want to talk about? Do you want to change the subject? But Jesus revealed himself to her. So as Jesus reveals himself to people, they come into the kingdom. So the first part of our, reach, our vision is reaching people. Secondly, there is equipping people to live and love like Jesus. This morning, I'm going to try to equip you in the area of serving. This sermon's all about the power of serving. So regardless of what you do, whether you are a plumber or an electrician or a dentist or a teacher or an administrator or a janitor or a doctor or an analyst, a realtor, the truth is you are a servant. Now, our culture tends to put down the term servant. We say, I'm not your servant. When a dad doesn't pay his child support, a judge may punish him with community service. Right? You see this guy with an orange suit whacking weeds. To say someone is a servant is to say they're at the lowest rung of the ladder. But I believe that no matter what we do, we are servants. Isn't it a powerful question to ask somebody, how can I serve you? Imagine your children asking you, how can I serve you? What can I do to serve you? To serve with a good attitude gives God joy. To sit at the table with a server with a good attitude makes the experience much more enjoyable. You ever been somewhere at a restaurant when a server had a bad attitude? There's a restaurant I won't name. <laughs> but I was there often early in the morning, and the waitress would bring her coffee. We'd ask for coffee, but she would serve it from about a foot up. She had a bad attitude. <laughs> we want you to know that grace is wide open to you in terms of opportunities to serve. We really want you to plug in here, to feel like this is your family, that you have opportunities to serve. It takes about 100 people to make our children's ministries work. All different kinds of opportunities to serve. If you want to be involved with students, there's just so many ways to connect with students. 
On the worship team, we're looking for people with musical abilities, vocalists, instrumentalists. Talk to Sharon. She will nurture you. So we are about equipping people to love and live like Jesus. And the third part of our vision, which we've already spoken to, is that of sending out disciple makers. We want you to know that you'll be here for a little while, right? But you won't be here forever. But we get to share this part of the journey with you. We had Scott with us for about four or five years, and now he's been sent out, and some people from our church have been sent out to make disciples. See, discipleship is this intentional relationship where we encourage and equip and challenge people to grow to their maturity in Christ. See, Jesus knew his identity. And wherever you see Jesus in the scriptures, you see somebody serving. He came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. So you, as you go through the New Testament, you see Jesus serving up some wine at a wedding. You see Jesus serving up some food on a mountainside. You see Jesus serving the poor lepers, healing their broken bodies. You see Jesus serving the blind, enabling them to see. See, Jesus taught us about servanthood. He said, whoever wants to be great, that's a great desire, to be great. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Greatness in the kingdom is not measured by power or position. It's measured by being a servant. That's why the greatest leaders are the servants of the team. The great military leaders are much more concerned about the well-being of their soldiers eating less themselves than their own welfare. The greatest teachers are more concerned about the students learning than their own benefits. Jesus taught us about servanthood. He also modeled servanthood. And the story we're going to hear this morning from John 21 has to do with Jesus modeling servanthood. Servanthood flows out of one's identity. It has to do with one's attitude, one's mindset. It carries over in the posture of the heart, and it culminates with one's actions. A person who is a servant will always serve. Now, to set the stage for this teaching, it's happening in, the, in Galilee. Jesus said, I will rise again and then go before you to Galilee. When the women came to the tomb, the angel said that you'll meet him in Galilee. So this happens beside the Sea of Galilee at a charcoal fire. Now, I remember before the days of gas grills, we cooked using the manly way, charcoal. We'd buy this bag of charcoal briquettes and pour them into the grill, and then douse those briquettes with lighter fluid. And the more lighter fluid, the better, right? You just kind of just soaked them. And then you'd light a match and throw it into the charcoal briquettes, and half an hour later, they'd be hot and white and ready to cook. Now, charcoal also was that which they cooked with down in Haiti. There isn't electricity or gas there. What they'll do is, to make you a meal of rice or beans, they'll gather charcoal. And they'll, someone long before you eat will burn the charcoal and then cook the rice or cook the beans on a big pot. Well, Jesus has come to the Sea of Galilee to make the disciples breakfast over a charcoal fire because he's come to serve them. 
John chapter 21. This is what it reads. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, <laughs> they caught nothing. <laughs> One of the interesting sidelines of the story is, these are professional fishermen, and whenever they go fishing, they catch nothing. <laughs> Seven of the disciples went with, went with Peter up to Galilee. Jesus said he'd meet him there. And Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Now, fishing was Peter's passion. I believe that Peter's greatest pleasure was catching fish and then bragging about the fish he caught. But Peter wasn't feeling extremely good right now because he had made a promise to Jesus that if all the others deny you, yet I will not, I'll be faithful to the end. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you will have denied me. Well, Peter followed Jesus to the courtyard of the high priest. And one of the little servant girls ID'd him and said, you're one of his disciples. Now, Peter was warming his hands over a charcoal fire. It was a cold night, and someone had made a fire. And Peter was in the warmth of that fire. But there he denied any association with Jesus and said, I am not his disciple. And Peter cussed and Peter swore. And it was the biggest failure of his life. And he was ashamed. But now there was another charcoal fire. This one had been made by Jesus. Jesus had come to Galilee to meet with his disciples and he had made a fire to warm their hearts by the fire. I want you to know that Jesus is always pursuing you. Jesus is always coming to you. Jesus is always showing up. Jesus is making a fire because he's setting this atmosphere to restore Peter. He has an important question he wants to ask him. But Peter said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> My identity is I am a fisherman. You remember when Peter was called? He said, you come follow me, and I will make you into a fisher of men. But now Peter had gone back to his other identity. And he got into the boat, and he took his nets, and he cast it, and he recasted his nets, and they caught absolutely nothing. Perhaps reminding us of the words that Jesus had said, that apart from me, you can do nothing. Peter and the disciples were on their own. They had gone out, not because Jesus told them to, but because they wanted to. The disciples are operating in their own plan, functioning in their own strength, fishing in their own waters, but they aren't catching any fish. Now these guys have been fishing all night. And how would you feel if you fished all night and hadn't caught anything. They were exhausted. And some here this day are exhausted. And they were frustrated. And some here this day are frustrated. And some were irritated with each other. And I think some are irritated with each other. 
You see, they just couldn't find the fish. They were being broken down. Their pride was taking a big hit. They had been humbled by fishing. Now, that's a common experience for me to be humbled by fishing. I think fishing teaches me a lot about patience and a lot about perseverance. And I love catching fish. I just don't like fishing. <laughs> Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. So Jesus called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? We might say, are you catching anything, right? Now, fishermen hate this question. Are you catching anything? Because if they are catching fish, they don't want to give away their honey hole. But if they aren't catching fish, they don't want to admit they've been just standing there with a fishing pole, right? <laughs> so Jesus says to the fishermen, have you any fish? And they said, no. Or maybe they said, no. Or maybe they said, no. And Je <laughs> So Jesus says, all right, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Now, remember when Peter started, he'd been in the boat all night, and Jesus slipped into the boat and said, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And he said, Master, we've been trying to fish all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, not because it makes sense to me, but because you say so, I'll do it. And Peter obeyed Jesus, and that day they caught so many fish, the nets began to break. Well, on this day, they threw their nets on the right side of the boat, and they caught a great catch of fish. Peter hears someone say to him, throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And Peter doesn't know who's talking to him. Should he ignore this advice, or should he do what he says? And when Peter does what Jesus says to do, now this is the nature of a disciple. You see, a disciple does what Jesus says to do. A disciple says what Jesus says to say. When Peter obeys Jesus, the miracle happens. They caught so many fish, they couldn't haul them in. And you can tell these are real fishermen. You know why? Because they counted up the fish. They counted up the fish in the catch, and there were 153 fish. I think they counted every fish, 151, 152, and 153. And Peter, then John says to Peter, spoiler alert, you know, it's the Lord. They didn't know that Jesus was in their midst. They didn't know that Jesus was talking to them. They didn't know that Jesus was coming to them. This was a divine appointment that Jesus had been waiting for them. Jesus was now pursuing them. Jesus was now showing up. And when they obeyed Jesus, the blessing came into their life, and there was plenty, and there was abundance. You know, sometimes we're fishing in the wrong lake. Sometimes we're fishing in the wrong place. And we need to be instructed by Jesus where to fish, and how to fish, and when to fish. And these disciples were getting some lessons in following Jesus. And then the story goes that Peter, hearing the voice of Jesus, put on his clothes and then dived into the water to swim to shore, right? 
And what did they see when they came to shore? Peter and the others with the boat and the fish. They saw a charcoal fire. They were wet and cold coming out of the water. And Jesus was making them a fire. And they saw fish on the fire. They were hungry. They had been working all night. And now Jesus was feeding them breakfast and fish and some bread. You see, servants think more about others than they think about themselves. Servants focus on others, not themselves. I wonder if you've ever taken just five minutes to ask, who can I serve today? To whom can I be a blessing? You see, the more we think of others, the less we think of ourselves. And the less we think of ourselves, the more joy we have. Jesus knew that the disciples would be cold, so he built them a fire. Jesus knew the disciples would be hungry, so he fed them some breakfast. Jesus knew the disciples needed some encouragement, so he showed up. Jesus knew Peter needed to be restored, so he's going to ask him a question. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than all these? Do you love me more than your fish? Your fishing stories? Do you love me more than your nets? Do you love me more than your fishermen? Do you love me more than your boats? Do you love me more than anything else? He wanted to clarify that issue in Peter's life. Servants think about ministry as an opportunity, not as an obligation. Think about that now with respect to your work. Do you think about what you do to be an obligation or an opportunity? Many in our society view their work as an obligation, not as an opportunity. I stayed with a man for a little while once, and he was greatly in debt, and he went off to work, and this is what he would sing when he went off to work. I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. He viewed his work as an obligation to pay off his debts. But here's a major shift in one's attitude. I get to do what I get to do. I get to be about God's business. I get to help somebody today. I get to be part of this team. I get to show people respect and appreciation. I get to live my life with integrity. I get to do good work. See, servants think about their work as an opportunity, not as an obligation. They enjoy helping people. They enjoy meeting needs. They enjoy doing ministry. And real servants make themselves available to serve. They don't fill up their life with so many pursuits that would limit their availability. They're like a soldier who, when called upon, is ready to serve. A soldier must always be ready when the commander gives them instructions. Are you available to serve? Could God call on you? Could he give you today an assignment? Would you be willing to rearrange your schedule to do what God would want you to do? If you remind yourself at the start of every day, I am God's servant, interruptions won't bother you as much. You can flex to deal with what God 
puts in your path. And real servants pay attention to needs. You see, servants are always on the lookout for the needs of others, of how to serve them. When there's a need and it's their assignment, they step into it. Galatians 6.10 says, Whenever we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to the household of faith. When somebody puts, when God puts somebody in need of something in front of you, God is giving you an opportunity to grow in servanthood. And we miss so many opportunities. Great opportunities to serve don't last very long. They pass very quickly, sometimes never to return again. You may only get one opportunity to serve this person. That's why John Wesley said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. <laughs> Therein lies the heart of a servant, being willing to serve. Verse 10 says that Jesus said, bring some of that fish you've just caught. And Jesus then said to them, look at verse 12, it says, come and have breakfast with me. What Jesus was doing there with the charcoal fire was he was serving the disciples. He was making them some breakfast. I remember, it's been a few years back now, but I went to McDonald's with my kids. It was about 10.35. And I said, we'd like to have this. We ordered breakfast. And they said, we're not serving breakfast. I said, what do you mean you're not serving breakfast? <laughs> we came for breakfast. I'm sorry, sir, we're not serving breakfast. I, they said, you can order lunch, but you can't order breakfast. Now, McDonald's has changed their policy now. They serve breakfast all day long. You can get your Egg McMuffin anytime you like, right? Because breakfast is always available. Do you know you can always be a servant? A servant is always thinking about what the needs of someone else are. So let's talk now about the pathway to servanthood. All right? The pathway to servanthood. It has four component pieces. Let's say you want to take this journey with us toward being a servant. Number one, identity. What if Jesus had said, I'm not making your breakfast? Are you kidding me? The disciples should be making breakfast for me. I'm the one who should be served. You see, Jesus lived in his identity as a servant. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going back to. Jesus knew his identity of being a servant. Jesus was a servant. Jesus practiced servanthood. When you step into your identity as a servant, you will serve anyone, anywhere, anytime. Because your actions will be congruent with your identity. It begins with, I am a disciple. I am loved of God. I am his servant. Now, much in America, would you agree, is a climb to the top. We start out on the bottom rung of the ladder. Here comes the dangerous part of this sermon. We start out on the bottom rung of the ladder, right? We start out what's called an entry-level position. 
This is the part where we just, you know, have applied for a job, now we have a job. But we know if we work hard, we can advance within the company. What I really want to become is now an assistant manager. So I climb up the ladder a little higher. Now I'm assistant manager. I'm not thinking mainly about myself, but I'm thinking about the manager and what the manager wants to have done because now I have more responsibility. I have people to think about, but I'm really trying to climb to the top. So what I really want to be is not assistant manager. I want to become a manager. So I'm climbing to the top. You're getting scared, aren't you? I'm scared of heights. But, you know, if I'm really a good manager, I can become a regional manager. And then I become a regional manager, maybe I can become a vice president. If I become a vice president, maybe then I can become a president. Because I really want to become a CEO or a CFO or a CEO. I really want to be on top. But I'll tell you about the people on top that have climbed. What they really are is proud often. They're proud of themselves. They've climbed to the top. I'm kind of proud of myself. I made it up here. But they're also afraid they may fall from the top because being at the top is kind of scary, to be honest with you. So what did Jesus do? Jesus began to come down the ladder. You see, Jesus was at the top. Jesus had it all. Jesus had the highest position. Jesus was very, very wealthy. But he gave his wealth away. He became poor. Then Jesus took on humanity. He became one of us. And when he became one of us, he took on servanthood. And when he became a servant, he became obedient even to death, death on a cross. Jesus came all the way down. We want to climb all the way up. Jesus came all the way down to serve. It has to do with your identity. Do you identify yourself with Jesus? Would you see yourself as a servant? Secondly, it has to do with mindset. First of all, we establish our identity. Jesus was a servant. We are followers of Jesus. We are his servants. Then we practice scripture. What does the scripture say? Philippians 2.5. Let your attitude, your mindset, be the same as that of Christ Jesus who made himself nothing, who emptied himself, who became a servant. When I was a kid, <laughs> there was a place my family went to where they had sort of uh, Caribbean music. And this guy would always break into something for the kids called the limbo. And the question in limbo was, how low can you go? How would Jesus answer that question? How low can you go? Can you go low enough to wash disciples' feet? Can you go low enough to be stripped down naked and go to a cross? Jesus' mindset was to go low. What is your mindset? I'm nobody's servant. What do you think? I'm your servant? Are your legs broken? Get it yourself. What's your attitude? And then the posture of the heart. The posture of the heart, you see in Jesus in the upper room. The disciples came one after another into that room. They're looking for the best seats. 
Jesus sees the basin, the pitcher, the towel. The disciples saw it, but they went by and said, I'm not willing to be a servant. You see, the servant is the lowliest one in the house. They would often hire a Gentile to be the servant. Servants greeted the guests at the door, took off their sandals, and washed their feet. But none of the disciples were willing to be a servant. And then Jesus took off his outer garment, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he knelt down and began to wash their feet. The posture of his heart was to be a servant. What's the posture of your heart? Are you willing to get down on your knees? Are you willing to go low? Jesus even made breakfast for these guys over charcoal fire because he was a servant. Jesus was willing to do whatever because he was a servant. Identity asked the question, who am I? Mindset asked the question, what is my attitude? The posture of my heart asked the question, what is beneath me? Finally, action has to do with how can I serve? What can I do? If that is your question, how can I serve? I just want to tell you that grace is wide open. There are so many opportunities to serve. Just come to one of our leaders. Come to Sharon and say, how can I serve? Come to Aaron and say, hey, Aaron, how can I serve? Come to Brenda and say, how can I serve? I want you to serve in your sweet spot. Each one of us should use whatever gift we receive to serve others. When we serve the body, we use the gift God has given us to give glory to God. You can give worn-out moms an opportunity to have a break by holding little ones. You can help people feel welcomed here by just greeting them warmly in the name of Jesus. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. The question of a servant is, how can I serve? What can I do? How can I use this gift that God has entrusted me for the glory of God, for the blessing of his people? It's really a question of, brother, would you let me be your servant? I invite the team to come back. Would you pray with me? Father, <clears throat> this is the household of faith. We are family. We're brothers and sisters on a journey. Some brothers really and sisters need to be served. They have overwhelming needs. They need someone to come alongside, put their arm around them and pray for them, for encouragement, for strength. Some are passing through deep waters. Sharon was talking about how when the night is holding on to us, God, you are holding on. God, that you are here, you're pursuing us. You want intimacy with us. You want a close relationship. So, Father, could we settle the issue of being servants? Could we just say that Jesus was a servant? I'm a follower of Jesus. That's my identity. I'm a servant. And our mindset be, God, would you 
show us opportunities to serve. And the posture of our heart be that which going low and then taking action. Father, show us opportunities to serve one another, we pray in Jesus' name.